uh, this morning. If you want to turn to Ephesians 6, I'll read from verse 10, but we're only looking at the first part of verse 14 this morning. Uh, the section is about putting on the whole armor of God um, and something about spiritual battle, but I'll, I'll talk about that in just a little bit. It says, Paul writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and Paul carries on, but we're going to stop there. Stand, therefore, having fastened the belt of truth. I just want to quickly get in your mind, when we think about spiritual warfare, you know, as Westerners, we don't think about uh, the spiritual realm very much. We very much think and live on a, on a visible, cognitive, tactile space, you know. So we may say we're spiritual but not religious. Some, some Australians might think that way. Uh, us Australians, sorry, I'm not trying to separate myself. Uh, that's maybe as far as we go. But really being cog- cognition, aware of the fact that there's a spiritual realm, an unseen uh, realm. We don't spend too much time there. It's a bit uncomfortable. So we just leave it alone. We, we deal in the controllables. It's more comfortable. But the Ephesians, to whom this was written, they were very familiar with spiritual things and had lots of temples and gods worshipped. Uh, in their city, and they would have no problem with the idea of a spiritual battle. They would, they would understand, yeah, of course there's the natural world, and there's, of course there's a spiritual world, and we need to be aware of both. Um, so when we think about spiritual battle, just to help our minds, this is, I think this, this gets close to what it is. Um, right in the beginning, God creates everything. You go read Genesis 1 and 2, and, and in the beginning, God created everything. He speaks it into being. And he brings Adam and Eve into this natural space of beauty. They see the world and all the created things, and they find out that it's good. It's so wonderful. God created all things good. And, and humanity was particularly good, made in the image of God. And then the serpent comes, or the devil comes as a serpent into the garden. And you can imagine Adam and Eve. They've got instructions from God. Their, their first day on earth wasn't spent working. Their first day on earth was spent resting with God. And then they went to work from there. Good lesson for us. Um, rest before you work. Don't rest after you work because the work will never be done. Um, and so, sorry, we're not talking about rest today, but, but God is kind. And the serpent comes into the garden and he starts to challenge what God has said to them. You know, God said, don't eat of that tree. And the serpent comes, did God really say, don't eat of that tree? Uh, yeah, we do think God really said that. No, you know, God, did God really mean what he said? You know what? And then he starts to say quite blatantly, the only reason God said don't eat of that tree is because if you do, you'll become like God, and God doesn't want that. He doesn't want you to self-actualize and become gods yourself. And they go, oh, that sounds pretty good. I mean, God is different to everything over here. You're saying that I can be God of all things, of my life. I can be in control of all this. I can be uh, at least peers with God. All right, I think I, that, that fruit starting to look very delicious. And so they, they disobey God, and they, that, that's spiritual battle. The, the spiritual battle is right there. Did God really say? God's way is this. Is that really the best way? Because I think if you go this way, it's not, what, it's not God's way, but if you go this way, the outcome is better than God wants for you. So if you want a better outcome than God wants for you, go the other way. And that's, the, that's a spiritual battle. It's choosing any way that's not God's way. 
right? So we don't always spiritualize that, but any time in our lives where we know something, a truth that God has taught us, but there's a sort of thinking of there's, there's other ways, there's better ways, maybe, this isn't the be- maybe God's way isn't the best way, maybe I need to take care of myself, maybe I need to look out for number one, maybe, what, what, maybe it's not that bad, you know, at the end of, or, or, you know, these are all temptations to walk away from God's way, and all of those are spiritual battles to take you fundam- fundamentally. What is the reason? This is the reason. This is, this is what the devil's on about all the time is to get you out of good relationship with God. So that's what Adam and Eve were enjoying, is fellowship with God. And after they sinned against God, they were no longer allowed into His holy presence. And Satan got his wish to break up that relationship between God and man. And then Jesus comes into this world to fight the battle on our behalf. And He goes to the cross with His righteousness, and He stands in our place, and he deals with disobedience and sin. He fights a spiritual battle for us and dies for us and gets raised to life that he can give us life, but raised victorious. And so the gospel, the Christian message, is called good news. And the idea is that it's heralded. It's like people who are in their city walls losing a great battle. The armies are coming against the this, this city and, and they, they've heard, we're going to lose. We're, you know, history, generationally, we've just lost. There is no way to beat the enemy. And then someone comes in and heralds on the hills, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Isaiah says, here comes a runner, on the, and they're heralding good news. And we can't really hear what they're shouting, but it sounds positive, not negative. And as they get closer, we start to hear the good news. And the good news comes, Satan has defeated your enemy. The battle is over. And in the name of Jesus, you have victory. That's the good news of the Christian message, is not by your might, not by your power, not by your good deeds, not by your good efforts, not by being good enough, not by praying enough, not by trying hard enough, not by all the enoughs, but by Jesus alone, He has done it. And through faith in Jesus, we come back into the sweet relationship with God where we are, where, where, that we sung about today, that in my worst, you still loved me. In my weakness, you picked me up. When I was rebelling, you called me close. And God adopts us as children of God. He, he, that language there is supposed to be family and covenant. In other, wor- in other words, you, you don't get rid of children. Children are your inheritance always. But children are also not perfect. And so God adopts children who need help, who need training, who need discipleship, who need love, who need forgiveness, He needs to be encouraged and parented. He adopts us into His family as His children. We have God as our Father. We're led by the Holy Spirit. But we have this enemy that still wants to disrupt our relationship with God. And while he can't, if your faith is in Jesus, if if you're a Christian here today and your, your faith is in Jesus, the devil can't make you not belong to God. He can't rob you from God. But what he can do is he can disrupt your sweet relationship that you're supposed to enjoy with God. He can get in the way and call you, divert you down, down rabbit trails of your own will, your own ambitions, ego, pride, uh, bitterness towards other, unfor- others, unforgiveness. And we can live in those spaces and not enjoy the sweetness that we're supposed to in, with, in relationship with the Father through Jesus. And that's our spiritual battle. 
is walking with Jesus, Jesus before me and behind me. Uh, Kaya's just recently w- learned how to walk, and you can imagine Haley in front of her on her knees saying, come here, Kaya. And you can imagine Caleb right behind her with his hands, like if she wobbles or falls, he'll pick her up. You, you know, and you just imagine this, this little baby. <laughs> just, and that's it, Jesus before me and behind me. You're calling me into your will and your ways for me, and you're standing behind me to help me by your Spirit to not be distracted and to not fall and to not stumble. And when I do, to pick me up and to help me to keep going. And that's our spiritual battle. Does that make sense? Okay, I hope it does. And we can talk more if it doesn't, but we need to move on. But I don't want to leave spiritual battle in this kind of spiritual space. It seems so awkward and weird for us. And we like, we don't know what to do with it. Let's just leave it alone because tomorrow I've got work and I don't have time for this. Don't worry about the spiritual space. It's not weird. It's, it's as simple as God has a desire to fellowship with you and His enemy wants to rob you of that. That's what it is. So what's, what's Paul's situation when he wrote this? Um, Paul is in prison when he writes this letter, which is interesting in, in and of itself. You don't know what, uh, well, I mean, if you were in prison, would you be spending lots of time writing letters to Christian groups about how to live for God? Uh, I don't know what you'd be writing. Probably I would be writing to the court to set me free. But Paul's writing uh, to the Christian churches. To, to his, he, he accepts his imprisonment. He thinks actually this is well within God's purpose for his life, is that he's imprisoned. Um, this isn't beyond God or be, uh, outside of God's will for him, and he's quite happy with the situation. So there's little doubt Paul's in prison. How do we know that? Because in chapter 3, verse 1, he says he is. So tick, uh, we, we know he's in prison. We just don't know which one, because Paul was imprisoned at least, at least three times, and we don't know exactly which time, because Paul doesn't really talk much about them. He doesn't give much uh, uh, time to it. But what was it like for Paul to be imprisoned? If you go read Acts 28, which we won't this morning, uh, Paul records one of them, or Luke records one of them for Paul. Um, this was when he was imprisoned in Rome, and it's most likely this, the, the situation that Paul's writing this letter from, probably, imprisoned in Rome. And what we find out in Acts is Paul is allowed in his imprisonment to, it's kind of, uh, to uh, stay at home. So he's allowed to rent a home at his own cost. He obviously can't go to work and make money, but he's renting a home at his own cost. It's a bit like a uh, bond. Is that what it's called? Wh- what is it called when you, 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 you bail? Sorry, thank you. Bail. That's what it is. So a bail, all a bail is, is a bail is a commitment to be there when you tried. You're not allowed to go anywhere. So sometimes when people, they can get bail, but they have stay-at-home orders. So Paul has this type of situation. They didn't have the bail thing, but they had the stay-at-home orders. But the way that it would be in this situation is that Paul would be chained to a Roman guard. So he stays at home by himself, chained to a Roman guard, and then he goes wherever he's told to be. Um, So what's interesting here is that Paul, can you imagine every single day being chained to a Roman guard, 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 not God, guard, uh, the best of the best, the elite forces, I mean the super troopers, uh, chained to one of these and, and that's like intimidating enough, but think about the Roman God. He's, he's chained to Paul. <laughs> he's met his match. I mean, he walked in and thought, oh, this poor guy, you know, this is going to be an easy thing. And then Paul got a chatting, got chatting. And this guy's whole life got peeled open. Can you imagine? So I have imagined, and I'm going to imagine it with you, 
what, what this might be like. And Paul doesn't write about this because he's writing to the Ephesians, but um, Paul often spoke within his surroundings. So when he's in Athens, he finds an altar that's the plaque says to the unknown God. And so instead of going into the Areopagus and preaching and going, you idolaters, you who worship false gods, you need to know about the one true God, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't, he's got far more tact than that. He's far more loving and gentle than that. And he gets up and he goes, hey, you guys are like so close. You've already got an altar to the unknown God. I just want to tell you about him. Can I tell you about the unknown God and make him known to you? And he springboard, he, he springboards off of their faith that's already there. He sees that as kind of God has left us sovereignly to bring the gospel into the space. And I imagine that Paul looks at this Roman God, God, and as he tries to um, tell him the gospel, share the gospel with this God, he looks at his, his outfit and goes, well, this is perfect. L- let me tell you what the gospel of Jesus is, because every single day you kind of put it on. And the God's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, well, you know how, you know, you, you get dressed with the belt of truth. Uh, you get dressed with this belt, and then you put on this breastplate, and then you put on this helmet. And, you, and every single day you like that. And you used to be Cyril, son of Cynthia and Nigel. That's what you were born. Cyril, son of Cynthia and Nigel. But then you became a Roman God. And since that day, you're no longer son of Cynthia and Nigel. Since that day, you're son of Julius Caesar. From that day on, every single day, you wouldn't leave your home without wearing your full regalia because your identity is in that. You are Roman God, not son of. And when you leave the house, you see all of life through your godship. That is your identity. People move on the street when you walk because of who you are. You have some authority because of who you are. You also mostly have some loyalty. Cynthia and Nigel may say, we'd love you home. Well, I can't say Christmas because they wouldn't have been celebrating that. But for, I don't know, whatever the Romans celebrated. And he goes, well, I'll have to check if it's in the will of Julius Caesar. If it's in the will of the Roman state that I'm available for the roast on Sunday. And his whole life would have been dictated by his loyalty to Rome. And Paul goes, just like that is the gospel of Jesus that re-identifies you as a child of God. And Jesus puts His armor onto you. He robes you in His righteousness, in His truth, in His salvation. The Roman God goes, yeah, but we have a code of conduct. We have something that helps us know how we ought to behave and, and what ranks we fall in. And, what, and Paul goes, don't worry about that. We have the living Word of God that tells us all about life. It tells us everything we need to know, and we live by that. We we eat on it like it's our daily bread. We feed on it, and we grow in it. And and the God says, yeah, but I have this, like, javelin pole thing that I can throw at my enemies, and, like, what do you guys have? You seem to just, uh, like, lay over, and you're, you're readily, you know, like, how easily was it to imprison you? And he goes, we don't fight against flesh and blood. You're not my enemy. We fight with the sword of the Spirit because our enemy is the devil who stands against you. He doesn't want you to know God's love. He doesn't want me to walk in the fullness of God's will for my life. And so we fight with the sword of the Spirit because the sword of the Spirit hurts no person, but it stands strong against the devil's uh, armies. 
And I imagine Cyril comes to faith. And it's a wonderful testimony, which Paul doesn't write about. But I would not be surprised if one day we find a Roman God in heaven, no longer in his outfit. Hopefully he's been upgraded from that. And walking along Paul, and, we've, and we hear this is the one, this is the guy who gave Paul a metaphor that he used for all of us. So I think when Paul was writing Ephesians, I mean, and now, now dip back into the Scripture, all of that was my own imagination. So please don't go preaching that. Um, have you heard about Cyril, who received the gospel? He was a Roman soldier. <laughs> don't go preaching. Very likely, but, but not in the Scriptures. Um, Paul's writing to them, and he wants, them to, he wants us to understand how we live for God. And, he, and next to him, he's chained to Cyril, and he remembers how well this conversation's gone and how fruitful it's been and how much God's used it. He's like, man, here's a great metaphor. I'm going to use it again. I'm going to borrow from it again. Hey, guys, it's like putting on the full armor of God. This is how you stand against the devil. And he's looking at Cyril. He goes, hey, let's start with the belt of truth. That's the first thing that you put on in the morning. So we're going to look at that a little bit. Yeah? So this morning, I just want to look at two things. Uh, the gifts of God, number one is the gifts of God and obedience to God and just understanding the difference between those two and putting on the belts of truth. So number one, the gifts of God and obedience to God. I'm not assuming you're all going to follow me over here and potentially if you're, if you're not a Christian but you're curious about Jesus, this may seem a little bit too booky for you. But for some of us, it will be helpful, I hope for, for most, but just follow me for a little bit. Uh, I know it's going to be a boring five minutes for some. Um, so when Paul writes his letters, he writes, uh, he, he has a structure. Joel, I wonder if you could put up the slide with the table. He, Paul's got the structure. I'm just giving you two examples, Ephesians and Galatians. The first half, Paul introduces gospel doctrine, what God has done for us that we have to receive. And so Paul talks about the spiritual blessings that you have in Christ, the justification by grace through faith in Jesus alone, the unity that comes from Christ alone, the mystery of the gospel that he reveals, the prayer for spiritual strength that is given to us. So first three chapters, Paul is just like, this is from God for you. This is what God is doing. You need to receive this. You need to know this. This is what the gospel is. And then Paul shifts. Once you get it, receive it. Then Paul goes, well, how do we live in light of that? It's a little bit like me. Imagine uh, I'm a father with some kids. Um, imagine me sitting down with one of them. Uh, let's take the, the room thing again. Um, tidy room, messy room. Not, and it's not a big deal. If you like tidy rooms, great. If you don't care and you don't mind messy rooms, great. I'm not trying to like, make an order for every household here. I'm just trying to give an ex example. And I sit down with them. I can either say, this is my home. I pay for it, this is how things are going to be here, and you live here, so that, and God can do that. This is how things are supposed to be, now pull, your, pull yourselves together. But we can't actually pull ourselves together, just like a child can't pull themselves together. But what you can do is to say, I love you. You are mine. I, I will lay my life down for you. I am so blessed that you get to live in this home with us. I can't believe God put you into this family. It's amazing to me. And every single night I go to bed and, and sometimes I can hardly sleep because the joy of knowing, I, mean, I just want to get up and go to your room and just stare at you while you sleep. And then when I wake up in the morning, it's hard for me not to walk into your room and wake you up and just hear you uh, moan because I've woken you. Even your, your grumpy moaniness is like better than silence. 
I love you. But if you really get that and you know that, and I need you to know that, then I'd like you to know that I think this house will go better if there's some order. If we do things in certain ways that honor each other and respect each other. And this is my will for your room. <laughs> and this is my will for your dental hygiene. Do you, under, do you understand the difference? You can, you can, of course you can say go brush your teeth. There's nothing wrong with that. Or you can say, I love you so much, and I really don't want to spend that much on dental bills. Please go brush your teeth. It's my will for you. Anyway, I, I don't know if the message, but this is the point. Paul goes, first you need to know some stuff. Once you know it, and you're like, you're jumping up and down, and you're going, I've received it, I received it, and get who I am in Christ. What, what, how do we live now? What do we do with this? Paul goes, this is what it looks like. You have unity in the body of Christ. This is what we work towards. We fight for each other, not with each other. You have a new life in Christ, so put off the old life. Put off the old life of sin. Yes, it matters. God cares about how you live. Put off the old life. Put on the new life that Christ has for you. Walk in love. Then he gives some instructions about how marriages, how married people can treat one another, how families can treat each other, uh, children and parents, how, you can treat, how bosses can treat employees and how employees can treat bosses. I mean, it's like very, very, very domestic. Very, very, very practical. You're like, whoa, hold on. Let's go to the beginning of stuff where it was like, Jesus justifies me. Jesus, you're telling me now I have to like work hard for my boss as if he was the Lord? Oh, let's go back to the Jesus stuff. Jesus, what Jesus did for me. No, Paul goes, what that looks like is when you know that Jesus is your Lord, that He accepts you, that He loves you, you don't have to go to work for your boss's approval. Go to work for Jesus' approval. Work, work as unto someone much more grateful, much more wonderful than them. He just helps us look beyond our circumstances. And then in Galatians, he does the same. Although Galatians is a little harder hitting. Do you notice that Paul goes much harder on doctrine? He, he gets to uh, what we can do right towards the end. And this is a unique thing because the Galatians had started to do things for their salvation. They started to be legalists again. They started like get, believing that you needed to get circumcised again and keep the law again in order to be saved. And Paul goes, oh man, we're going to have to redo this all over again. And he t then, so he takes four and a half, five chapters to put in the gospel doctrine again. Justified by faith. By faith, not by works of the law. The righteous shall live by faith. What is the purpose of law and promise? We are sons and heirs of God. Here's my concern for you. Christ has set you free. You know, he builds this. And then finally he feels like, okay, you must have it by now. Now, what you can actually do, because you are eager, is keep in step with the Spirit. Not with the law, keep in step with the Spirit. Bear one another's burdens. And remember the principle of sowing and reaping. So this is Paul's method. And so when we come here, the first line are these gifts of God. The, the doctrine side is the gifts of God that come to us. And then the second part is the obedience that we respond to those gifts. What is the appropriate response to this gift of God? And so when we look at the, the, the whole armor of God, you know, or when we look at the gifts of God, there's like God's love, God's grace, God's mercy, God's justification, His salvation. And when we look at obedience, there's these kind of love one another. There's always love one another. Keep in step with the Spirit. 
And so when we come to the full armor of God, there's a bunch of things. And the only ones that are definitely gifts are salvation and the Word of God. And they're, like, oddly for Paul, they're at the end instead of at the beginning. We have salvation as a helmet of salvation and the, the Word of God. Those are gifts that come to us. We don't do anything for them. We receive them. We learn from them. We put them on if it's salvation. The others all seem to be obedience. Where things that we do, and so it's important. Here's why it's important. This is why I said some of you may just like zone out for a while. Is because if we think of the the the, the belt of truth as as the gift of God, then we immediately and rightfully think of the the Jesus's truth that uh, he comes to us with the gospel and says you you need a way in which to be saved, and I have come to get, make you righteous. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. There's no way to the Father but my, by me, and those who place their faith in me uh, are, are free to enter, uh, and I have eternal life for you, and etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There's that truth, and we put that on. We go, okay, let's put on gospel truth. I believe the gospel, and we put it on as a belt of truth. I'm wearing a belief in the gospel. That's okay. That's right. You should do that, and, and I don't think Paul's got a problem with that, but if Paul's talking about obedience, then he's saying, in your day-to-day life, you go on living out the gospel of truth because of what you've received. And so your life looks marked by truth. You are markably different to anyone else who's hiding anything or being in any way deceptive or manipulative or scared of letting the the truth be revealed. Are we saying songs of, "I, I will hide nothing, I will lay down my weakness? And, and lies can be like weakness. You know, you, you can walk, and it's a wonderful song we sing. We may walk around with deceptions, with hiding things from each other, with being insincere or incongruence in our lives or saying what we think people want to hear or working from home trying to lie about our hours or have a little like mouse that's moving around without our hand on it, whatever, the <laughs> whatever it may be. I'm not trying to, not trying to uh, put anything on anyone. You, half of you look like you're sitting there going, how did they know? That's not the point. The point is, those are like weakness. We take these things off because of the truth of Jesus accepting us as we are. We have to hide nothing, and we take them off, and God accepts us as we are, and we walk in truth. And that's probably what Paul's talking about over here. Let me show you the gift. Uh, He says in verse 1, verse 13, I think there's a slide. He says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth... That's the gift. You heard it. It just came to you. The gospel of your salvation and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Do you see how that's just a gift? Then in 21, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus, that's just a gift. But then Paul switches to obedience in 4.15. He says, rather speaking the truth in love, you're no longer receiving, now you're doing something, speaking the truth in love, we grow up in every way into Him who is the head in Christ. You were receiving the gospel, you had to hear it, but now you're speaking the truth, and that's how we grow in Christ. There's a difference. We, we're no longer living uh, deceptive lie, lies or uh, incongruent lives. We're living in the truth of what we receive from Jesus. He says, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God, that's what the, li- the, the new self is. It's created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness, therefore having put away falsehood, that's taking it off, that each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And then he says, walk as children of the light, for the fruit of light 
is found in all that is good and right and true. So we put, we, we speak truth to one another. they characteristics that are shaped after God. So there's a godliness that comes, that, that starts to come out of our lives. And, and Paul says this is the fruit of light. I mean, there's three different, speak truth so that you may grow in Christ. Put on godly characteristics. Bear fruit of the light. There's just so many ways Paul's saying the same thing. What's interesting, uh, let me just tell you what Snodgrass says. One of my favorite commentators, just because of his last name, is Snodgrass. He says, the belt of truth means to be strengthened by God's truth in the gospel and to resolve to live truth. He's kind of saying the belt of truth is both. It's being strengthened by the truth of the gospel and uh, in the gospel to resolve to live it. Because of what Christ has done for me and I believe it, I can go and live differently in this world, freely. Um, what's interesting is the, there's some wonderful testimonies about like Christians when they're persecuted. And the best picture I can remember is, is one person that was persecuting Christians and then became saved because of the response that was coming as they as they put Christians to death, the response that came from the Christians softened their heart to the gospel of Jesus. In other words, they were like, people should not die like this. This must be true. They must really believe this gospel because this is an unreal way for people to die because so much love and kindness came from them. And it was described as a crushing a rose, that when you crush a rose, what, what are you left with? You're left with its fragrance. And this person who's putting Christians, when I, as, they are, as these Christians are crushed, what we're left with is this perfume, this beautiful fragrance. I want more. I want to know the gospel that they know. Our battle's not against flesh and blood. Our battle's not against uh, human opponents. Our battle's against the devil who wants to destroy relationship with God, relationship with each other, and our relationship with ourselves. Satan comes to rob, kill, and destroy. Jesus comes that we may experience life and life abundantly. And so as we put on truth and we, we think about that, there's an aspect of perfume. Uh, I love the apartments that I live in in the morning. I love going at 7 o'clock to get a coffee from Mary Street Bakery because a lot of people leave around that time to go to work. The elevator smells amazing. I love it. You can tell if a gentleman or a lady has just gone to work, and then sometimes there's a unisex scent that's hard to tell. Then you know it's a young person. And it's amazing. I love it. They've put on their battle armor for the day, and they smell incredible. And that's like Christians. It's not like our battle is, you know, we put on the full armor of God and then go and be a stench in society, you know, make everyone hate you. Uh, yeah, I must be winning because, like, no one likes me. And I, I, this persecution, yeah, I must be standing for Jesus. And you raise your hand in victory and people run away because you stink. When we put on the armor of God, Paul's already said, it's like putting on godliness. People may not lo love you, but there should be a fragrance about you. They should have no accusation to make about you. Their dislike should be, in a, in a way, unreasonable. They can't really pinpoint it. Have you ever, I feel like that all the time, sometimes about like movie stars. I just dislike them. Why? Because they're rich, famous, and their life looks easy. I just don't like it. 
Have they done anything wrong to me? No. I love their movies, actually. I just would love them to be cut down a little bit. In that way, I'm quite Australian. Right? So, it, it, it doesn't ha- you don't have to do anything wrong. You don't have to be a stench. Take the fragrance of Christ. It's like as we put on this armor of God, there's a fragrance of godliness that comes with it. There's a fragrance that it comes with truth. Wow, this person like didn't hi- like they were honest. So um, did you do that project? No, sorry, sir. Uh, I know it was the deadline was today. I, I I didn't get it done. Oh, sorry. Were you were you sick or did something come up? No, uh, I wish I could say I was, but actually, honestly, I forgot. I mean, I know I'm paid to remember these things. But I, I genuinely, I just forgot. And I'm, I'm so sorry. What, what can I do from this point? And the people sitting there going, oh, my gosh. What is this person doing? There were five excuses you could have used. Three opportunities to point blame away. This person, what, just the, they may not like it, but the fragrance of truth. I don't have to hide it. God already knows the mistake I made. God already accepts me and loves me as I am. I don't have to pretend this ha- didn't happen. It doesn't mean it's not serious. It doesn't mean there shouldn't be a consequence. But I don't have to hide from all that. I can be honest and carry integrity with me. Let me move uh, quickly. Um, in our culture, we, we think of words as not very powerful. We say things like, at least when I was growing up, I haven't heard my kids ever say this, but I grew up with sayings like, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never harm me. Anyone, anyone else say that? few of us. Anyone under 20 say that? No one. Why, why did we lose that? Anyway, you younger ones are right, because words, sticks and stones can break your bones, but words will destroy you. They were far more powerful than sticks and stones. Um, and this, you know, how did God make the whole world? He spoke it into being. He created everything out of nothing, with words, God spoke and it came into, there's so much life and death in our words. We either pick people up or we press them down with our words. Gossip is like verbal murder of people's character and reputations. Sometimes the hardest thing to do is to be working, I don't have a, a proper office, so sometimes I'm working in a coffee shop, coffee shop and I've learned not to do it around like school pickups because there's, there's often gatherings of parents before school pickups and my gosh, the crimes that take p- place in those verbal conversations, the character assassinations, the tearing down of people that aren't there. It is brutal. But as Christians, we called to take our words and to take truth into our culture and to our neighbors and build each other up. Look what the Bible says about words. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and deceitful tongues. Listen to this from Proverbs. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to Him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue. God hates that. Wow. But I escaped getting in trouble by just like telling a little white lie. Yes, but the holy glorious, wonderful God that has redeemed you, has saved you, so you don't have to tell any lies. He saved you from that. 
Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self and, uh, and with its practices. The tongue has uh, the power of life and death, we hear in Proverbs. Colossians says, let your conversation always be full of grace. Th- this means be gracious in your speech. The goal is to bring out the best in others in a conversation, not to put them down, not to cut them out. Imagine that every time we open our mouth, the goal was to lift people up, to bring the best out of them. So even if they're not there in the coffee shop, can you say something that brings the best out of them in the eyes of everyone listening? So words are so powerful. Colossians says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs with, uh, from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. So Josh um, and Anna and Steve did some of this as we sang together. They admonished our hearts. They taught us. They lifted us up in the truths of what we were singing about God. They picked us up in our words as we praised God and we, we learned what the gospel is again. We reminded ourselves again. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, uh, as in fact you are doing. Don't let anyone, <laughs> sorry, just going back to the other point, I just imagine someone taking these scriptures, not out of context, but just into a weird context where you might be in a coffee shop and right then a, a brother or sister goes, you know, just as you were speaking, a worship song came to mind that I really think you need to hear. I'm just going to minister to you now with a hymn. You're like, oh no, oh no. And they go, you just close your eyes and open your hands. I'm just going to sing over you in Mary Street Bakery. The Bible tells us to do it. <laughs> like, there's proper con- I think there's proper context in which to do this. <laughs> anyway, come back, imagination, come back. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Do you see what happens there? The Scripture, the Word of God, is good to speak to each other so that we may all be equipped for good works that God has prepared for us. What, what equips us? The Word of God. How do we do it? By speaking the Word of truth, so that we may go and live for God. Hebrews says, don't, uh, sorry, and let us consider how to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Imagine someone is sitting somewhere at home today or tomorrow or the next day thinking, how can I encourage you? How can I spur them on? Consider how to spur each other on. How can, how can we do that? So all these scriptures, what are they saying? This is, this is what they're saying. Build each other up spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, morally, physically. Pray for, uh, pray for each other and pray together. These are, these are practical things you can do. Worship together. Not only on Sundays, you can also worship together at other places if you want to try it out in a coffee shop, I suggest you invite Anna. I think she'd be the most likely to join in. Listen to and chat through scriptures, sermons, books, podcasts, resources. You know, if you go like, I, I don't know like how to do that, just find a Ray Ortland sermon uh, or, or someone, Tim Keller something, book, and j- just pick it up and work through it together and, and be encouraged through the truth of Jesus. Use the Scriptures to teach, rebuke, correct, and train in righteousness. This is the right time, the right words, the right ways. This is not jumping on each other's weaknesses. This is see, seeing track records and going, hey, I know your heart is to live for Jesus. I know that. Do you mind if I share something I might be wrong about? But I'd really love to maybe come alongside and just kind of 
nudge you back to, to in this, you know, I, I th- at times, you, you, you seem to be a bit angry. What's going on? Nas was going to go and rebuke one of our children yesterday uh, because Nas has finished studying. And so she has time now to rebuke our children. <laughs> our children no longer get a pass because mom can't focus. Nas was around to rebuke our children. I mean, they've still had me, but they've, now they get the double whammy. And so Nas was on her way, as gentle as she is. I mean, I think Nas is incredibly wise in how she rebukes our kids. And yet, one of the children stopped her in the hallway. Said, hold on, mom. Just remember, there's usually a reason that people behave the way they do. So just check on that. Thank you very much. And and in they went. This is a, you know, rebuke each other with truth, but do it in a loving and wise and kind way, not assuming the worst. Like, bingo, I've got a I've I've got something. I've got something on you and I can't wait to hit you with it. Like, hey man, I see something. And either it's coming from somewhere that we need to talk about, or you it's just a blind spot that we can talk about. Or I might be wrong. But let's do it wisely and kindly and gently. Uh, express gratitude to and for one another in specific ways. I've loved how good Julian Wilmot's got at this. I'll say, I'll say this. I think it's true. When, Ju- when I met Julian about three, three and a half years ago, he was one of the funniest guys I've met. He still is. But he wasn't a very honoring person. I say that comfortably because Julian is one of the most honoring people I know. I hear him all the time celebrating people, encouraging people, uh, lifting people up. Everyone wants to be seen through the eyes of Julian. God's done something wonderful in, in his heart, in the way that he views people. But that's for all of us. And, and the reason I gave you where he's come from is because I'm saying, if you're not naturally that way, I, it doesn't matter. It's a quality of God, not your personality. Okay, let me, let me land because I've been long enough. Set an example in how to speak. Show empathy, compassion, and acceptance and point to Jesus. Here are three words that summarize the bells of truth. So if you like, just sum it up for me. Give me a sound bite. Do these three things. Put on these three things. Integrity, sincerity, consistency. Integrity, what was the second one? Sincerity, (laughs) consistency. In going out tomorrow, today, put on integrity, sincerity, consistency. Remember what the gospel of Jesus is, uh, the truth that has come to you in love, uh, what Jesus has done through it, how all your sins have been forgiven. You have nothing to hide from. You know how freeing it is. Therefore, put on the same qualities of truth and enter into this world with integrity, sincerity, and consistency. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So when we go out today and we're like, how, am I so, where, how are we supposed to do this? You follow in the way of Jesus. Follow in the way of Jesus. What is the way of Jesus? What did he say? I'm the way. What's the way? Truth. And what's the result of truth? Life. I am the way. Okay, Jesus, help me walk in your way. Okay. Well, the way to begin is to put on truth. Okay, help me to put on truth. 
What's the result? God life. Because God life is qualitatively different to every other sort of life. The devil comes along. He says, there's another way to get better life. There's another way to quick life. There's another way to pleasurable life. There's another way to comfortable life. There's another way to you-centered life. There's another way to secure life. And every single day there will be opportunities. Jesus says, no, put on truth. Trust me. Walk in my ways. Don't be distracted. Because all those other things lead away from fellowship with God, right fellowship with each other, and right fellowship with yourself. As we trust Jesus and we walk in the truth, we experience the life of God. And how best can you summarize the life of God? What, what is the best carrot for walking in truth that is sometimes difficult to do? What's the best carrot? Ultimately, the life of God is fellowship with Him. To have fellowship with your Father. To have nothing standing between you and Him. To have what He has made you for. To be reconciled to your Father, which has been done through Jesus. And to enjoy that today and tomorrow. And what that looks like. What is the most practical way of seeing our relationship restored with God? Seeing right and loving relationship overflow with each other. That's what we are made for. That's what we are fighting for. That's what we are standing for. To have right relationship with God and to love and, and honor and walk well with each other and all those in this world who still need to hear the good news of Jesus.